Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm just going to stall as long as I can until I jump into this because it is some good stuff. How many have ever been to uh, a Pentecostal church? Anybody? Oh, wow. That's a lot of you. Okay, so I'm the odd man out. I'm the one that feels uncomfortable with this passage. All of you probably feel amazing about what I'm going to say today. Uh, so just bear with this ex-independent pastor that. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like the constructs that I come from. Of course, uh, my mom still doesn't talk to me because I preach in jeans. You know what I mean? Like, poor thing. Uh, and I know she's not watching, so I can talk about her. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just, we come from a very strict background. And uh, so I have been deconstructing um, much of what I grew up with and how I was looking through a certain lens at scripture. You know what I mean? Like we all have our backgrounds. We all have those churches maybe that we grew up in. And some of you, fewer, I would say, uh, are, are unchurched, which means this is your first experience and it's so much easier for you. And, and it's, it's evident to all of us that have had other church backgrounds that you are the happiest people in the crowd. The, the people who have no background in church, uh, they, they are the happiest. They're the ones who are like, this is amazing. And we're like, we want to feel how free you are, but we don't because I still think some of this is wrong and I'm not sure what's okay and what's not okay uh, based on our background, based on what we knew to be true, what someone told us. Uh, and so for me, and if this is helpful uh, for me, I'm approaching the text with a new lens every time I go to it. And I'm doing my best to, if these were the way I grew up, set that, set that aside and just look into scripture without those preconceived or predisposed opinions uh, and, and let the Holy Spirit speak to me afresh, anew. Uh, and man, that has been fruitful. It has uh, yielded some incredible fruit in my life. Um, and so, but I would say this. What I'm going to say today, uh, I'm not going to draw a hard line. I, I am, but I'm not. And I think that uh, without contradicting myself in this, I'm reaching this point in my ministry where I don't need to say how everyone else and every other church that does it differently outside of our church is wrong and we're right to keep you here. Because that's been my experience in the past. A Baptist pastor wants to say that tongues are only an interpretive language that, that we understand, like one of an existing language, uh, and anybody who speaks in gibberish, they're wrong and I'm right because if you have that experience, uh, then you'll go to that church instead of staying in this church. Look, I believe that the Lord calls people to a certain local church. I believe that people come here and that the Lord will root you and ground you, I believe in the local church. I believe that if you make a decision to join and, and be a part of a church, that um, you should stay. You should work through problems. You shouldn't just 
well, am I aligning or not aligning? And, and, you know, maybe this week I fit better over here. I don't like the way the pastor does. I mean, look, it's already like house hunters for churches in 2021. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the truth. I don't know if you've seen that comedy sketch, but it is that bad. Well, the coffee was a little strong. The nursery smelled a little, maybe a little dusty. I don't know. It's just not quite right for me. I'm going to go try another one. And you could literally try a different church every week for like months. You know what I mean? Like there's so many churches. I don't believe in that culture that we're waiting for all the stars to align. Not at all. If anything, what you have and bring to the table at the church is something that the church doesn't have. And the Lord's probably bringing you here to facilitate that. Right? It's not, I want something that's put together that I can be ministered to. What we're reading, what we're engaging in in Corinthians is Paul was saying, no, you are here for the rest of the body, not the rest of the body here for you. You are a part of a whole, and the whole is going to work together, and you're going to be a part of that to help someone else. It's not just about you. And so I don't subscribe to this, like, culture of searching for this church that's got it all. Sorry, Carmen. He's like following me today and it's the one day I decide to just pace everywhere. My bad, bro. Uh, but anyway, it's much better, isn't it? That without all those cameras around me, I felt like I was like in some kind of studio. We got them all back there and it's, it's working better. But anyway, so we're fighting this idea that we're looking for the perfect church because we know there's no such thing, right? There's no such thing. Church is full of broken people. Uh, so therefore, church is broken. Uh, church has struggles, uh, and we're here for it. We're, we're going to work together. We, we're going to be called to a, a local body, and we're going to invest, and we're going to dig deep, and the Lord's going to use you in that body for the benefit of the common good, which, which is what we're seeing in this study. But I will say this. As it pertains to differences, as it pertains to what I would call like tier three theological issues, not tier one. Tier one, I would say, is like the Trinity, right? That's something that you have to wrap your mind around, right? The, the, uh, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ and the blood atonement, right? That's like, a, that's like a tier one theological issue. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. The resurrection, that's like a tier one theological issue that we should probably agree on, you know? But all of these things that are down the line from it, tier three, some of them are tier four, like how we dress, or like this issue of tongues, this, these giftings and how the Holy Spirit's gonna work within them. If we disagree, it's okay. It's all right. If another church does it differently and perceives it differently from the text, watch this, that's okay. I don't have to get up here and say, everybody who doesn't do it the way we do it, they're wrong. So you better stay right here. Because in my, in my past, independent Baptist churches, and I can say that and call it out because that's where I grew up, in my, it's my experience, they preach like they're the only ones who have it right and have it figured out. And that's wrong. Why is that wrong? Because the church and the body, if you look at the fact that Apollos, think about this, right? Apollos was an incredible preacher and orator, and he had a different view of baptism than Paul had. That would be like me saying to an Anglican bishop who's here, you know, hey, can we agree on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? Absolutely. Can we agree on the fact that, you know, like, 
we're saved by grace through faith? Absolutely. Can we agree that Baptist baby dedication is kind of like your infant baptism? Yeah. Yeah, there are some differences and there are some nuances there that I think are just semantics and a little bit of wording, but I think we're both headed what? In the same direction. So therefore, I don't have to preach against another brother because he's gonna interpret scripture a little bit differently than me because we agree on the big stuff. Rather than standing in the pulpit and preaching your people into the pews and concreting them in so that they don't go anywhere else, that's fear, that's shame, that's guilt. I believe that if you're gonna stay, the Holy Spirit's gonna do that work. Not me telling how everybody else is wrong and we've got it right. What kind of like remnant mentality is that? And it's just so prideful. My way of viewing end times, it has to be pre-trib rapture and it's gotta be just like Tim LaHaye said it. There's other perspectives, <laughs> especially in, in the realm of scholarship. People disagree. You know, so anyway, what I'm gonna say today is a different position than I have been in in the past. Uh, if I would have preached this five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I've been preaching since I was in the second grade. Isn't that funny? Like the man in, the man in the church built me a pulpit in the second grade. I have wore a black suit, a white shirt, I think my mom's got my first outline somewhere. I think I preached from Psalm chapter two. I've been preaching a long time. And I can look back through the years and go, man, I look at that differently than I did back then, than I did five years ago. And here's where I'm at now. I'm preaching things from a perspective of this is where I'm at. This is where the Lord is leading me in the text. And I'm leaving room. I'm leaving my future me Grace for where I might be then. Grace for where the Lord may lead me at that point. Do you understand what I'm saying? So whether, whether you agree or disagree, it's gonna be okay. You may hear some things today that you're like, whoa, I didn't know that's where you stood on that. I'm just now coming to this place, to this position. And I'll, I'll say this too. Sarah and I, we talk often about this. It's kind of funny, like, the way the Lord works. I would have approached this passage from a perspective of a cessationist view. In other words, I believed back in the day, like when I started this church, that the gifts that, that are being spoken of here in the text ceased after the apostles. That they weren't needed because now we have the full revelation or the full word of God. This is a, a typical Baptist, especially an independent Baptist perspective. We have the full word of God. Now we have Paul's letters. We have Peter's letters. We have John. We have the gospels. So therefore, we don't need the Holy Spirit to give us prophetic uh, knowledge or prophecies or tongues, right? We don't need that. Those gifts ceased. You know, in my study through 1 Corinthians, I don't see anything like that that Paul talked about. I see actually the exact opposite. I actually see Paul encouraging these things to what? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Man, thank you so much. Papa Greg, coming in clutch, coming in clutch. I ran in, like when I, oh, was that Chelsea? Man, I ran out there and I grabbed a coffee cup from my office and I ran around the corner to the coffee bar and it was gone and he saw me do it. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll do this without caffeine today, I guess. But anyway, so anyway, where was I? 
So good. God bless. Amen. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't see anywhere in this passage where Paul encourages this behavior to stop. If anything, he's encouraging it to continue. So publicly, you know, if another pastor or person watches this, um, and I think that there is even room in the associations that I'm, I'm connected with for our church plant that people are okay with other people believing this now, but I would fall more into the category of being a continuist, which means that these gifts are and should continue in the church, which is a pretty big shift for me. But I, want, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see it where? In the scriptures. So uh, if you feel like you're only getting part of a whole this morning, it's because you are. We preach through a book, so you can go back and listen. We've walked all the way from 1 Corinthians chapter one all the way to chapter 14. And so last week's message, what's love got to do with it? Uh, you can go back and watch our conversations online, uh, listen to the sermons to get caught up, but I don't have time to do a lot of review, but we're gonna do a little bit in the middle of the sermon. Um, but I wanna say, uh, just by way of brief review, this is the Las Vegas of the ancient world, right? The, Corinth was a melting pot, multiple cultures. We see this theme of unity all the way through this book, and we see, we, we see the people of Corinth constantly trying to create distance between the socioeconomical classes that are represented. We see the rich people getting drunk in the Lord's Supper while the poor people are going hungry. Do you remember that? right? We see some saying that they're good orators, and that's really what they care about, and they're trying to showboat their spiritual gifts, while you see brand new Christians coming in going, what are you guys even doing? And they're freaked out about it. We, we see the gamut. We, people in all in between, and ultimately, this is a culture, right, understanding that this ancient Greece city that was conquered, and then obviously Rome is in charge now, you're gonna have some of those undertones of the mythology of Greece, of ancient Greece, packed with Roman citizens, Roman garb that were retiring in this community because it's a port city. Uh, It's a great spot, tons of commerce, tons of business people. There were wealthy people in, in the church. We know that Chloe and her workers, this lady who had this like port industry business happening, shipping things in and out of Corinth, she's the one who snitched on them, uh, acting crazy in the church. Paul got word back in, at, to, at Ephesus about the crazy stuff that was happening at this church. Uh, so he's addressing these things, and chapter 12 through chapter 14, we're landing on this issue of spiritual gifts. And so we're gonna address chapter 14. I'm gonna pray one more time and then we're just gonna jump right in. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Fill us with your spirit. Help me to say the things that you would have me say and not say the things that I shouldn't, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So the the title of today's message is Gifted and Talented. And uh, it's kind of a play on words, right? You know, when you go to school, you have those that are, gifted and talented that they get special treatment or they go on a different track because they know or they see or they understand more things. What we're having here in the gifted and talented is those that are trying to make it seem like they're really spiritual and that they've got it all together. And Paul just nestles 1 Corinthians chapter 13 right in the middle with, it's just this massive mic drop, throws a bomb on him and he's like, guess what? 
though you speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but you don't have what? Love, you're nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter if you have a word for everybody in this room, if you have a prophetic utterance and it, it really speaks to somebody. If you're doing that without love, guess what? It doesn't matter. So we have that understanding and that mentality, but then Paul, he, he's already addressed the issues. He's already said, look, there's, there's some of you that have this gift, knowledge. Some of you that have this gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of giving. You're supporting others, right? Some of you are teachers. Some of you are, uh, are preachers, exhorters. Some of you are just literally giving people a word for, for them, uh, a word of knowledge. But if you're doing it without love, you're doing it in the wrong way. So then when we get to 14, after his corrections have already kind of landed hard, he digs right in. So let's do a little bit of, if you're following along in the program, let's kind of uh, double back to plow through. Remember Paul's concern from the beginning. Remember when we first started studying this book, there was a verse that stood out, right? It was, and we're going to read this passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 through 25. Listen to this passage here. Remember Paul's concern from the beginning of this book. It was preaching the gospel to the unsaved. Does anybody remember that? Here's, here's the text. Verse 17 of chapter 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That alone, in and of itself, is so much meat. There's so much there. Why? Because we argue over how we baptize. We argue about how we do church. And Paul is like, I didn't even come to baptize. In fact, I'm glad I didn't baptize none of y'all except maybe one or two because I came to preach the gospel. We, we came uh, to, to preach deliverance. We came to uh, give sight to the blind. But yet, all of those that are in the church that have sight, that are seeing, you're the ones that are causing the problems. You're the ones that can't see. You're the ones who don't know what your next step is. Paul's like, we came to preach the gospel. What does that mean? He came to preach to the lost. But yet, we somehow, and and. When I say these things, I'm talking about myself here as, as well. We somehow make it about us, don't we? Goodness gracious. Let's keep going. Verse, verse 18 in chapter 1. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of the age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? Hmm. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased, I love this, to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jew asked for the sign, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Do you get the sense from the beginning, from, from the beginning of this book that Paul is like, we need to do this God's way and not our way. 
You see, if we don't do it God's way, we're all gonna be separate. We're gonna be, there's the Greeks over there, there's the Jews over there. We need unity. Is this applicable to 2021? Is this applicable where we need unity, where we need brothers and sisters of different races and ethnicities to come together in this beautiful picture of what God has created and not what the world has created? The world's wisdom is foolishness. God's wisdom is foolishness to the world, but it is the power to those that are being saved. Oh my goodness, this is great. So I'm just setting the tone here. Remember, Paul's concern from the beginning of this book is preaching the gospel to the unsaved. It's important, I'll tell you why. Paul, on why the gifts are given in the first place, before we get to chapter 14, remember this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, a manifestation of the Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common what? good. Hmm. Interesting. For the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Look at verse 11. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as what? He wills. So Paul's first concern out of the gate in this book is preaching the gospel to the what? The unsaved. I'm concerned that this church is reaching the lost. That should be our first concern. His second thing, when he gets into the gifts, he's saying the Holy Spirit is given gifts for the common good. For the common good. So therefore, if we have a perspective where we receive gifts for ourselves or for our building up or for our spirituality, some people I've heard believe that gifts fall on a person for their salvation, or proof for their salvation. If you didn't get that gift, then you didn't get what I got, I've heard. That would also be an incorrect view, right? Because the gifts are given for the what? Common good. When we talk about spiritual gifts, we should be talking about where does this fit in the body? Or better yet, how does what I have received from the spirit benefit who? Someone else rather than myself. Well, that's my gift. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But he's giving it to you for the common good. We can't ignore these things stepping into 1 Corinthians 14. We have to consider the context. Okay, all right, we're getting there. Paul gave the gifts in the first place. Paul is saying that the Lord gives the gifts through the Spirit for what? The common what? The common good. Okay, here's review, you ready? This is the little segment where, where I think it's important that we establish some things that, that we've seen in this text. Here's the first thing that I think we need to remember. Don't forget this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation. One thing that we have discovered, and there are folks who believe differently about this, and I think it's important for us to establish these 
processes and these thoughts and, and, and where they fit in scripture according to what we've already studied. So what I'm seeing here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation. This was about three weeks ago when we covered this. The Holy Spirit is both the person we are baptized into and also the place in our hearts that is on location that connects every believer. Paul is using language here of you are a part of a what? Paul's using language that you're a part of a what? Yes, you saw it too. I totally see it. Paul's using this language that you're baptized into a body. That's kind of strange, right? Okay, all right, I'm baptized into the body. Do we get to pick which part? (laughs) It's kind of weird, but that's kind of what he talks about. And, And so this idea that we're baptized into, we talked about this as the location. He uses the Holy Spirit as the place. You're baptized into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in your what? Your heart. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're bought with a price. Ephesians 5, the Holy Spirit is the earnest or the down payment. The point is this, when you receive Jesus Christ, in other words, at salvation, and if you've never declared your loyalty to Jesus, then you're in the wind. If you've never said, Jesus, I'm declaring my loyalty to you, then you're not a purchased possession. You're not owned, you're not a son or daughter. You don't have the inheritance because you're not in the family yet. Does that make sense? That's kind of scary, huh? That's why we do what we do. You see, if if people don't know the Lord, it is up to us, the great commission, for us to go and win and baptize and teach. Why? Because Satan is doing his best to deceive. He's doing his best to sidetrack. The enemy is working overtime so that people don't declare their loyalty. But we know in Romans chapter five, Romans chapter three, Romans chapter eight, that it is by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves, Ephesians two. We get to this place in our life where we say, it is not my works but your works. It was your finished work on the cross where I then find myself in a place of utter humility and I declare my loyalty to Jesus Christ. And at that moment, Paul is saying, that's conversion. The Holy Spirit comes. So so therefore, if you're looking for a gifting or this supernatural thing to happen at the point of conversion, Paul is saying, you're not thinking about this clearly through the process and the lens of the gospel. Paul is saying, The Holy Spirit is on site regardless of whether you feel gifted or not. I'd like spiritual proof for that, Pastor. Okay, great. Here it is. Verse 13 of chapter 12. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. That's pretty clear. He's going to talk about why some are experiencing other gifts and other people are experiencing maybe a word of knowledge and some interpretation. In other words, everybody's in a different what? Everybody's in a different place as it pertains to your giftings. I might have the gift of teaching. I still haven't figured that out yet, if I do or if I don't. People keep showing up. I'm not sure. But I think that I have the gift of teaching the word of God. I love it. It's my happy place. I love this. It's incredible to stand behind this pulpit and and, and just let the scripture illuminate our hearts and our minds and seeing people like, oh, I get it. This is amazing. That's a gift. It's a gift of teaching. 
But just because you don't have the gift of teaching doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, he is on location. You were baptized into the Bible. But I haven't got the gift of tongues. But I haven't got the gift of prophecy. I've never had a word for nobody. I don't even know what to say to my wife. It's okay. It's all right. Everything's fine. But, but you see, people put an overemphasis on the gifts instead of the person who came and indwelled them and who came and pulled them up out of the miry clay and put their feet on a rock and established their goings. Look, we're gonna figure this gift thing out on our, we're, we're gonna figure it out as we go. But the gifts are not a prerequisite for salvation. Salvation already happened. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So the first thing we need to understand is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation, per scripture. Here's the second thing we understand before we get into the weeds. The second thing, spiritual gifts are not necessary, and I kinda already said it, but you get the point, I wanna give you scripture. Spiritual gifts are not necessary for salvation, watch this, but are rather an evidence of the Spirit's choosing to work within that believer for the benefit of the church. That's what they are. We see it specifically here in chapter 14, verse number 12. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church, Paul said. What does that mean? It means that we got the Holy Ghost when we got salvation. When you declare your loyalty, the Holy Spirit is like, <laughs> that meme, you know what I mean? That guy in the yellow shirt hiding behind the tree, you know what I'm talking about? You know, what, you know what meme I'm talking about? You kind of look like him a little bit, you know what I'm saying? That meme where that guy's about ready to pounce. This is that meme where the Holy Spirit is there waiting around the tree and he's like, go on, declare your loyalty to Jesus. I'm coming in hot, coming in hot. That's it, sorry. That's it. If this is your first time, I'm gonna go ahead and apologize ahead of time. I have a strange, twisted sense of humor. Welcome, welcome. Just embrace it and everything will go so much smoother. Mm. <laughs> it just gets weird sometimes. It's okay, it's a gift, it's a gift. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is waiting to see you make your declaration to Jesus. It happened at the baptism of Jesus in John chapter 14, I think it is, where, where Jesus, yeah, not 14, earlier, earlier than that. Jesus, when he's getting baptized, heaven opens up. The Father says, this is my beloved what? Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God descends, flutters like a dove. The same language in Genesis chapter one, when the Lord creates the world. The Holy Spirit is a part of a team. We talked about this more last week. And my point is, is he doesn't operate with this gifting piece apart from Jesus. He operates within the body. I'm just so gifted, man. I'll tell you what, if, th if this church has got a little piece of my gifting, watch out, shoo. <laughs> like, people are missing it. It's not about the gifting. The gifting is for the body. It ain't about any one of what? It ain't about any one of us, it's about him. It's about what he's gonna do, not about what we bring to the table. He just needs willing vessels. He just needs people that have poured out themselves and that are empty and ready to receive something that he can then work in his body. Son, uh, yes. That's what it's all about. But when we have the wrong perspective of 
we're trying to pray this gift on someone, or when we think that gift is something that is going to create something in and of itself, we miss the point. Is this becoming clear? We're seeing these. Okay. Paul is addressing some issues. Now, if you have your, your, if you have your Bibles there, we're going to read all of these verses from chapter 14. All of these are going to come from chapter 14. So I, I want you to, this is what I did this week. Over and over, I was like, am I really going to say this? Yeah, I'm going to say it. Okay, Lord, give me grace. All right, please. yeah, thanks. We're going to do it. We're going to say it. Okay, no, we're not going to say it. Yeah, we're going to say it. Robinson, it's, it's going to be all right. That's what the text says. This is me having like this conversation with the Lord this week. And I'm like, all right, yeah, 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 there it is. No, I'm not ready, Lord. <laughs> I'm not ready. But I know you're ready, and here we are, and I knew this day was going to come. So as you read this, think through the fact that, okay, let me take you to Acts chapter 2, right? At Pentecost, I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm coming back to it. In your mind, think of Acts chapter 2, right, where Peter preaches the first message where the church is born and the Holy Spirit falls. And then they all hear what? In their own language, right? So this glossa or glossia is the Greek word. It can mean physical tongue, your tongue. It can mean other languages. But there's also something happening in this text that just doesn't add up. So here's what some folks do, especially cessationists. They try to force that, look, at Pentecost, they heard in their own language, in their own tongue. So that's what's happening here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You think that in your mind, right? You think, is what Paul, is, what Paul is talking about here in this passage, someone just speaking another language? You think that while I read these, these scriptures. We're gonna start at verse number two, you ready? I'm sorry, verse number one. This is my favorite verse of the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number one. Pursue what? We're, getting, we're gonna come back to that. Pursue love and desire what? Yeah, this is something that's gonna cease. We're not gonna talk about this anymore when the apostles die. We don't need those gifts. Is that what Paul said? Paul's like, just, just watch me work. Watch me whip, no, watch me work. Watch me do my thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal some people, I'm gonna walk through it, I'm gonna touch them, and we're only gonna use gifts of healing in the first 100 years after Jesus is out, and then we're gonna lose the gift. Is that what you see there? Pursue love and what? Desire spiritual gifts. That sounds like something that should probably what? Should probably keep going, maybe continue? Possibly? Okay, anyway, I'm a mess this morning. For the, I'm trying to convince myself in this moment. Y'all praying for me? Come on now. Look at verse number two. I'm teasing. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to who? Remember, we're comparing this with, is this just another language? For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks what? Mysteries in the spirit. That's the one that got me. I'm like, mysteries. Mm -hmm. All right, mysteries in the spirit. Verse number three. On the other hand, the person who prophesies. So he's talking about two different things. He's talking about the gift of tongues and the gift of what? Prophecy. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening encouragement and consolation. So I see Paul shift. He makes a shift. 
he doesn't say that tongues should not be used. But he says, one is only for who? Them, and the other one is for what? The church. The person who speaks, verse number four, the person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. I underline this part, but the one who prophesies builds up the what? The church. Verse number five. I wish all of you spoke in tongues. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but watch this. If I can find it. But the one, no, that's not it. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more than, uh, even more that you what? Prophesied. So Paul says, I want you to speak in tongues, but more than I want you to speak in tongues, I want you to do what? I want you to prophesy. Why? Because prophesying builds up the what? And not just your own personal self. Look at verse number, is it, are we on six? Yeah, six, there it is. 13, no. Yeah, look at verse number, we'll, we'll go to five. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless what? He interprets so that the church may be built up. So even in this gifts of tongues, he says that there's also a way that this gift can be used to what? Edify the whole body. But what's the qualification? Someone has to what? Somebody's gotta interpret it. Is this just like I need to put out a thing in the newspaper saying I need somebody here that can speak Chinese, I need somebody here that can speak like all these different languages? Does that, is that the feeling that you're getting from this text? Or is it a gift that only the Lord can give to hear something that they are saying in this mysterious way? Is that what you see? That's what I see. Look at verse number 13. Therefore, the person, it's just now getting good. Hang with me now. Come on now. Y'all are like Bible study time again. Shoot, just preach the word and let me go eat my lunch. Shoot. Look, this is good stuff, all right? Hang in there. <laughs> Look at verse 13. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should, this, this is like mind-blowing, should pray that he can what? If it was a language that my main man knew or that someone else knew, why would Paul say, pray that you can interpret your own tongue? If it was just this language piece that at Pentecost everybody heard in their tongue when Peter preached, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that it's both. I'm seeing that there was a miracle on Pentecost where people heard what Peter was saying in their own native language, but when it comes to spiritual gifts, Paul is saying, if you speak in tongues, you should be praying that the Lord gives you the interpretation of it. That would mean that what the person is saying, they don't what? They don't get it. It's mysterious. What do you do with this? Every Baptist up to this point, <laughs> growing up in an independent Baptist church, they would just jump right over this passage. They would be like, woo, <laughs> we ain't talking about that one. We don't wanna talk about that verse. Or they just like gloss it off. You know, oh, well, yeah, it's a language, and uh, yeah, yeah, and then someone will interpret it. And uh, No, like if you look at these verses, it's like there's something else here. Does anybody else see something else there? I see something else there. Look at verse 26. I'm just pulling out these verses that really show us that it showcases something else that's happening. Look at verse number 26. What then, brothers and sisters? When together, I love this. Each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, 
or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to, only, there are to be only two, or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. Verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep what? Silent in the church and speak to himself and who? And God. Remember the first, the first verse in chapter 14, I think it's verse number two. Because if he speaks in that tongue, he's speaking to the Lord. Verse 33, look at verse 33. Since God is not a God of disorder, but of what? Peace. Look at verse 39. So then my brothers and sisters, be eager to what? prophesy. He's, he's putting a priority and a perspective towards their worship gathering. Paul is trying to lay some ground rules for this. Be eager to prophesy. Does he say be eager to speak in tongues? No. He, he's already stated that it's better if you what? Prophesy. Be eager to prophesy, but do not what? forbid speaking in tongues. I wonder how many churches I could go into and just like act like I'm having an ecstatic utterance and speaking in tongues and how long they would let me sit there. I'm gonna go into some of these dead churches, you know what I'm talking about? I'm just gonna like bust into it, see how long till they remove me. Just kidding, that would cause division. That would cause, and I'd be like, look, Paul says don't forbid it. It was in the coffee. It was in the coffee. <laughs> Why? Why does he say this? He says, <laughs> but everything is to be done decently, what? And in order. You know what's funny is I've heard that verse taken out of context so hard. <laughs> Let everything be done decently and in order. This church is so unorganized. We apply it to like meals. We apply it to like our structure. You know, let everything be done decently and in order. If we like actually talked about that verse, <laughs> isn't that funny? It's like, let everything be done decently and in order. Excuse me, what Paul is not saying is that the order of service never changes. Like this is not what he's saying. Can you imagine, this would be utter chaos. If I said, okay, who's got the hymn today? Who's got a word for somebody? Anybody got a word of knowledge? Who's got a tongue and who's gonna interpret it? Wouldn't it be like so incredible, so spontaneous if that's what the service looked like? I'm just gonna, next week, I'm gonna have someone stand in and preach for me so that I can go be a part of a church that does this just so I can see how it, how it happens. I'm just kidding, I'm really kidding. But did you see that like Paul is like, some people have a hymn. Some people got an interpretation. Look, some people would be so uncomfortable with this. Even though Paul is like, let it be done decently and in order. And I would say this, like, this church, if we think about the context, the rhetoric, right? The, the Apollos, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Peter. What was happening in this church specifically is they were consumed with themselves. The problem was pride. You had people getting up, speaking in some kind of crazy utterance, and there was no one there to what? Interpret it. Paul was saying, you're only doing this for yourself. This is not for the body. And Paul was like, if you, and I love this, let's not miss this church, because I believe the Lord's shifting our church. What do you mean, pastor? What do you mean he's shifting our church? Shoot, I'm about to shift up out of here. Chill, everything's gonna be okay. Maybe, maybe. No, but Paul is saying, if your priorities were straight, you would be 
more concerned with prophecy. You would be more concerned with each person hearing what they need to hear rather than hearing yourself speak. That's what really matters. If you were more worried about what your gift could do for someone else, then watch out. You see, the problem with churches, the problem with our gatherings in America is we've lost sight of the person that should be sitting next to us. We've lost sight of our neighbor. We've completely edited 1 Corinthians chapter 13 out of our Bibles and we don't follow. We, we, we go to verse number one and Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. We desire spiritual gifts and we've forgotten about love. I just want to reach my full potential. I just wanna speak. I just wanna say something. How about you just sit out? How about you just get to a place where you become a conduit and you let the Holy Spirit electricity flow through you to someone else that needs the power? We are not the end. We are not the end user. We are just a means for the Lord to give that gift to who actually needs it. And if we had the right priorities towards every gift, we would be thinking about how does this help someone else? And listen, whether or not you agree with tongues, miracles, healings, all that stuff, we can all agree that we would have a better priority and a better pulse on what we should be doing for the Lord if we were focused on others rather than ourselves. You hope? Okay, here's where we're at. We're shutting it down, we're circling the wagons. Tongues is listed, you ready for this? Tongues is listed as a spiritual gift. It is also said to be a mystery in the spirit. It is also said that the person who speaks in tongues should pray for the interpretation. If this was merely a language, then why would the person speaking it be praying for an interpretation? It appears, it appears to be an ecstatic utterance that communicates a message from the Lord. And it's not everyone that has this gift. There are people in our church, uh, I think three, four weeks ago, a man, I mean, he's not here today, but he was speaking in tongues at the altar and no one really saw or, or knew what was going on. He was talking to the Lord and it was during worship. No one, it wasn't chaotic, it was fine. But there are people in our church that come from backgrounds that have had those types of experiences. And what I would say is we need to explore in our church more of how the giftings of the Lord can be used for each other. That's what I would say. I would say that we should probably focus more on what? Prophecy. Probably focus more on prophecy because it's about other people, but I can't deny what's here. But I also see that not everyone has this gift. Paul says that he is more concerned with them prophesying than speaking in tongues. What is the takeaway from today? We did it, we treaded into 1 Corinthians 14. Oh my goodness, I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm sweating bullets up here, I'm sweating bullets. What is the takeaway? Verse number one. The takeaway is verse number one. Pursue what? Love. And desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may what? Prophesy. We need, listen to me church, we need spiritual gifts. We need them. I'm not interested in having a dead church. And what that means is like, 
Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, they were emptying the cross of its what? Power. There is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. And he's got a purpose for it. But what if, watch me here, we need space for the Holy Spirit to work in ways that he wants to work. And I'm gonna say this, we're gonna be working on that in the coming weeks. I don't know that corporate worship is the best space for that. In fact, I'm seeing quite the opposite. Quite possibly the biggest challenge for the church today, listen to this, is substituting our gifts and abilities for the Spirit's perfect choice of his gifts and abilities. Quite possibly, I'm gonna say it again, the biggest challenge that the church faces today is when we say, here's my gifts and talents, and we substitute those for the Holy Spirit selecting the gifts that he wants to use and just using you to use his gifts. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you feeling me? I would rather the Holy Spirit flex than my flesh any day. How many would rather the Holy Spirit flex in their lives? Then something's gonna happen. I'd much rather, you know, at some point, if I know that I'm not in it for me, that I'm in it for somebody else, watch this, then I don't have to strive. Then I don't have to feel bad about myself of what I did and didn't do. Because it's what? His choice, his plan. If I lay down my life, if I lay down my talents and abilities and I seek the spirit of God to work within me, then I don't have to carry guilt, fear, and shame. I don't have to be run and driven by how good I am at said gift. Some of us, we've never served this way. And you know what I'm realizing? I'm just now figuring this out at this stage in my ministry, that I've been striving a long time. I've been worried about perfecting my gifts and talents and abilities rather than letting the Spirit of God just flow through me. You know, it's freeing when you consider serving the Lord with his power and not your own. It's freeing. What, what would happen? What would happen if we all just died to self and said, come on, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory is what our hearts long for. Maybe, yeah. I'd have to find it. Look, we need a shift, don't we? How is the Lord gonna use you to help somebody else? Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.